Father, we just come to you, Lord, this morning. We just want to thank you for your faithfulness, Lord. It's your faithfulness that has kept all of us. It's not that any one of us were better than those who fell victim to that virus. Just because of your mercy, your goodness, and your faithfulness in our lives. You choose us. You chose to keep us alive and for a reason. And I pray, Father, every one of us will know and walk in that reason. Six months is almost over, Lord. Two more days. The seventh month is here. We can still sing by faith. The seventh month too. Great will be your faithfulness. We thank you for the provision of everything in our life. We stand by faith. We declare your goodness, your power, your might. We know you will walk with us the rest of the way. We don't know how many days, years are left. But we know one thing. You will never leave us nor forsake us. Help us to stay close to you, Lord. Now as we come to the ministry of the word, we just surrender ourselves into thy hands, O Lord. I pray the Spirit of God will be with us, all of us, the speaker and the hearer. We both need you, Spirit of God, both to speak and to hear. For the letter of the word kills. It's a spirit that gives life. So Spirit of God, move. As we meditate upon your word, for your mere word is life. Speak, Father, for in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. We've been looking at Moses. And we saw in one day, After living in the wilderness, looking after his father-in-law's sheep, one day an encounter with God changed everything. Everything changed. About life, about family, about spouse, about children. If you look at that, everything changed. And what now would define Moses' life for the next 40 years is the purpose of God in his life. And if you look at Exodus 4 and verse 22 and 23, this would be the defining purpose of his life. You shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my son, my firstborn. So I say to you, Let my son go, that he may serve me. This becomes the defining purpose in Moses' life and his ministry, the calling, everything is defined by that. That Israel is my firstborn son. Let him go that I may, that he may serve me. And this changes everything. See, one day Jesus went to Bethany, one of the few houses where he knew he would be absolutely welcome. You know, I guess the parents were dead. And you had these three brethren, Lazarus, Martha, and Mary. And uh, like one of his usual days, he goes there and uh, he preaches. 
And what happens over there is while he's preaching, Martha is busy cooking. And we know the story so well. And in Luke chapter 10 verse 41 and 42, you will see Martha's outburst and Jesus' response. Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things. And so is the whole world. Troubled Christians. We can only speak to the church. We cannot speak to the world. People are worried and troubled about many things. But only one thing is needed. But one thing is needed. And Mary has chosen that good part which will not be taken away from her. What is that part that Mary chose? What is that part that Mary chose? The part that Mary chose when Jesus entered into a house is to put him first. Put him first. He sat at his feet and heard. Okay? That's what we call in English priority. If you travel in the, in an airplane, if you go to the airport, you have some facilities which is called priority check-in. You have to pay extra for it. Okay? Then you have something that is called, uh, you can, if you pay extra, you will, your baggage will come out first. So it's all got to do with saving time. You can check in last. You don't have to worry. You don't have to start. It's a privilege you get. You don't have to stand in the queue. Then when you disembark from and you clear everything, you want to get out fast. Now you pay extra, you will see your luggage comes out first. Priority. Okay. Priority is the principle of putting first things first. Like I said <coughs> yesterday, as a teaser to today's message during Q&A. The greatest tragedy in life is not death, because death is inevitable. Everybody will die. Okay, It's as sure, not as sure as taxes. A L- lot of people escape taxes. Okay, But death is inevitable. It's an appointment everybody has to keep. So they, it's, it, you can't call it a tragedy. It's an inevitability. You cannot escape it. But the greatest misfortune, tragedy in life is a life that is lived without purpose. And a life that is lived without priority. Wrong purpose and wrong priorities itself is a tragedy. Okay? In Matthew 6 and verse 33. Okay? Or let's read from 32. Uh, 31 onwards, okay? Therefore, don't worry. Do not worry. Say, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. What is he talking about? He's saying, he's talking about the priorities of a natural man. Okay, the natural man's priorities is connected with this fundamental needs of the body. Okay, you always think that way. Always, what you eat, what you wear. Okay, and they are always moved by circumstances. Right now, how to keep myself safe? COVID-19. How to keep myself safe? Protection. Okay. It is always moved by impulses that are physical, material. And we are moved by that. 
always the natural man. When all these things are met, you have more than enough food and drink and money and resources and protection and no purpose, then you will see the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah. You shall move towards pleasure, unlimited. No, these are the tragedies of life without priorities and without purpose. So Jesus comes to the church and he says, you know what, the only way you will escape this tragedy, otherwise life is a tragedy, okay, is when you understand, in verse 33 he says, this is priority. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then everything else will start falling into order in your lives. As long as you don't get one as one. First as first. Nothing else will fall into life. You will always struggle in life, he says. You have to understand the principle of putting first things first. And the first thing is God's kingdom and his righteousness. And Jesus is making an incredible statement. He's making a statement that the kingdom of God is more important than anything else in your life. Anything else in your life. The kingdom of God is more important than anything else in your life. It's more important than food, drink, clothing, safety. You ask the, our soldiers at the border at China, you ask them what is their priority, they will say the nation. It's not food, it's not drink, it's not even our own life. It's the nation that comes first. We have sworn an oath, we will die in the process if it comes. Okay? That's a nation that will pass away. Okay? So God puts it in that perspective and says, for my children, do you understand what priority is? The most important thing in your life should be what's, it's my kingdom. The seeking of my kingdom and my righteousness. And he uses that term, but seek, seek means to pursue, to explore, to understand, to study. If you seek me with all your heart, he's not talking about casual seeking. He's talking about seeking that consumes your heart. Okay, if you know about that merchant who found that pearl, remember he found that pearl of incredible value, okay, and then he comes back and he sells everything. Imagine his conversation with his wife. I want to possess that pearl. And yes, honey, we need to buy it, okay. Do we have enough money? And he says, no. So what are we going to do? I'm planning to sell the land. Land, which? He says, all. And the house. And everything. Everything. There are two sides of this parable. One side of the parable is we finding the kingdom that way. The other side of the parable is Christ leaving everything to buy us, to purchase us with his very life. He's the merchant. There are two sides of the parable. He's the merchant who gave up everything 
to purchase us. So he says, do you have that kind of passion? Seek ye first. First means top priority. It overrides everything. Overrides everything else in our life. And he says, seek ye first the kingdom of God, not religion. The kingdom. You cannot have a kingdom without a king. The absolute, total, sovereign rule of the king. Okay? The reputation of the king, his rulership, and his will. That's the Lord's prayer. His righteousness that does not come from religion or a set of rules. His righteousness that comes by faith and faith alone. And basically his righteousness actually means a right relationship with him, with that authority, within the legal framework he puts before us. And then he says, you keep this, everything else is added. And our Lord's prayer, when they asked him to teach us to pray, and in another of the gospel, and also in the Beatitudes, he says, this is how you should pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Okay, first thing, like, you know, we've been looking at Moses, we've been looking at the revelation that Moses comes through Moses, the first five books, and it begins with, in the beginning, Elohim, created, and then Ruah, Elohim. The the understanding and the revelation of who God is through the Bible, okay, the who God is and the different nomenclatures we put in, okay, nomenclature is a very difficult word, the names, okay, the names of God basically defining his characteristics and finally at the burning bush he gives him a blank check saying, I am who I am, whatever it is, and all the incredible revelations of God. But the greatest revelation of God is by Jesus. Teach us to pray. He says, our Father. That's something that was not there in the Old Testament. Nothing there in the Old And that's, that's the most incredible revelation of our Father. And again, be very careful. He doesn't say, your Father. He says, our Father. When you pray, remember you are a family. Because your is a very selfish term. My Father. He is the only begotten son who comes and says, Our Father. Our Father. Yes, it's your Father. But when we pray, it is our Father. Because when it becomes me, my, myself, selfishness of the fallen man comes in. And we need to realize the church is a family. It's a family. So he says, Our Father. And that's the first revelation of the resurrected Jesus. Go and tell my disciples. I'm going to my Father and my God. Your Father, and he doesn't say God first. He says Father first. You read John Chente. That's the first revelation of no. And that's an incredible prayer. And like, it's a shocking prayer, culturally shocking prayer. They won't even, a Hebrew won't even utter the revelation of God's name as we say Yahweh. They won't even utter it. And then God is saying Yahweh is your God, your Father. Our Father who art in heaven. Okay. Then this incredible statement. Hallowed be thy name. Okay. Go through it. What it means. Okay. Go through it. Hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. It's all about your name. Help me to keep your name holy. We've been baptized in that name. We have been given that name. Keep my name holy. You know, actually you don't need after you are saved much of 
Even if you take the entire Bible off and I just have the Lord's Prayer, you will end up as an overcomer. The Lord's Prayer, the truth in it is more than enough to keep you going. You know, Lord, help me to just keep that and live that and be that. You know, and it is thy kingdom come. Okay. It's not give us this day my daily bread. It is not heal me from COVID-19. It is not, Lord, give me a job in the midst of this joblessness. It's none of those. It's, 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 all that is secondary. Your priority should be always thy kingdom come. It's my kingdom. That's your priority. Get your mind focused, he says, because, you know, mind is always so focused inwards. Me, myself, my family, my need, church needs. God says, no, what about my need? To the sons of Zadok, he says, you will not sweat. So wear linen garments and come first to me and meet my needs. Then go change your garments and meet the needs of the people. Get your priorities in order. Get your priorities in order. That's what God is talking about, the kingdom of God. The entire gospel is the gospel of the kingdom of God. You take the kingdom of God, we have lost the gospel. It is not a gospel. It's not a good news. It's humanism. It's not about the kingdom of God. Much of the gospel that is being preached today is not the gospel of the kingdom of God. It's the gospel of man. The gospel of man is called humanism. That's what you're seeing everything. Humanism, feminism, socialism, capitalism, communism, Marxism are all offshoots of man. All of them. What is common in any of this? It's man. It's man. The gospel is not about man. The gospel is about the kingdom of God. Any of these isms you take, ideologies you take, it's about man. Any religion you take, it is about man. It's not about God. It's man with his own efforts going to God. So it's about man. It's not about God. No. And we, we are not praying. Just let's go there. Just, just okay. Look at verse 10. We are there. Verse 10. What are we praying? Say all of you say it loudly. What is that? Are we saying, take me, O Lord, or your kingdom come? What are we praying? Did you see? God says, you see, 300 years we were ruled by the British. And we call it the era of colonialism. Okay, the British, the French, the Portuguese, the Spanish. These were all the colonial powers. They went and colonized. Okay, colonized, and they, they colonize different nations, peoples, okay? But do you know what is the greatest colonial power on earth? The kingdom of God. The greatest colonial power on earth is the kingdom of God. And when it comes, it changes the indigenous people. When the British came here, they brought the, first they came as East India Company, then they became the British Empire came in. They had the governor generals and the viceroys and the British, the queen became the monarch of India. The British, that is what is called the British Commonwealth. She was the empress of the British Empire. That's exactly what Christianity does. It brings the kingdom of God down. If you want to look it in those terms, what are we? We are all colonists. We are colonizing the earth for God. 
That's what the prayer means. Thy kingdom come. And what does colonialism does? It changes the indigenous culture. Way of thinking. The way of how everything changes. And that's why we call all those people, no? Babus. They have, they have that term, no? We used in have, no? Babu means he's, he shifted from the Indian culture to the Western culture. He has become a Babu. Right? So we need to realize there's a kingdom Babu also. Okay? So I mean, these are terms, negative colonialism in human history, but in spiritual history it is not a negative. It is our daily prayer, Lord, thy kingdom come, thy kingdom come, thy kingdom come. In Matthew chapter 3 and verse 2, the first precursor of this message was John the Baptist because he was preparing the way for the king. It's like in the old days, before the king comes, the 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 announcer goes and he will go and he announce the people, make way, make way, make way, Raja Aharahahe and all the crowds, everybody comes. That's his job. So John the Baptist is the one, the final one as he's arriving. So he is given that revelation of the kingdom and his statement is, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And then the king comes and he makes the same statement in 417, repent. Preach and say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Okay. Sound might sound very strange, but this was what they preached. And if you look at it, Jesus had only one solution for all the ills of mankind. The kingdom of God. What is the answer to all the problems you are facing? Whatever part of the world, whatever nature of the problem, one answer. The kingdom of God. And this was the concept which was given to Moses too, the concept about the kingdom. In Exodus 19 verses 5 and 6, he says, Israel, this is my plan for you. Take it or leave it. If you will indeed my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all peoples, for the whole earth is mine, and you shall be for me a kingdom. You shall be for me a kingdom a priest, and a holy nation. This is what you need to speak. You shall be for me a kingdom. And the prophetic message comes from Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6 and 7. The same message is repeated. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The government will be upon his shoulder. The government is upon his shoulder. And his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And verse 7, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end upon the throne of David and over his government to order and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward even forever, forever. And the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform it. This is the message which, whether you are Democrat or Republican, you don't want to hear. That's a problem. In our heart, we are all Democrats or Republicans, meaning we think democratically. But this is not democracy. We'll be misfits in the kingdom of God if you don't align our minds to the kingdom. 
because we are being delivered from the power of one kingdom, the kingdom of darkness, which is brought forth all these kinds of ideologies to the power of another kingdom, which rules in righteousness. And when we are born again, that is exactly what happens, what is conferred, given to us in Luke chapter 12 and verse 32. 12 and verse 32. Do not fear little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. We are given the kingdom. That's what we are given. It's the kingdom that we are given. It's my father's good pleasure to give you a democracy. No. A kingdom. Kingdom. You know. And in Luke 22 and verse 29. I bestow upon you a kingdom. Just as my father bestowed one upon me. What I give to you is a kingdom. And unless we are kingdom minded people, we are not going to have peace. We are going to always to be troubled in the midst of everything that is happening. The only way the peace of God will guard our hearts and keep us through all this is when we become kingdom minded people. And Jesus' final statements before the representative of Rome, the Caesar, Pilate, in John chapter 18, 36 and 37, is, these are his final statements because the secular for the authority on earth. Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my kingdom would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. He makes it very clear, I have a kingdom and it's not from here. Verse, Pilate therefore said to him, are you a king then? Jesus answered, you rightly say. You say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born. Why were you born? For this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. So what was the truth that he was testifying about? What is the truth he's testifying about? The fact that he is a king. And he's a kingdom. And everybody who says who's kingdom minded, he says will hear my voice. In verse 33, that's what he says. No. His kingdom is from another place. The pilot entered the praetorium again, called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of Jews? Are you the king of Jews? And he says, Rightly you said so. I am. Unless we are on the side of this truth, we will not hear. Otherwise we are just picking up good principles for this life. And we will live democratically in this world with the principles of the kingdom and ultimately be judged at the end. He says, you want to hear my voice and not picking up good, good points during the sermons, but hearing my voice. Get this truth. I'm a king and there is a kingdom. And salvation is when I confer to you a kingdom. You come into that kingdom. Because we have different forms of constitutions and governments in this world. And these ideologies spur these governments. Different kinds of governments in this world. Republic form, that is US, the other one where you have a prime minister, you have a direct election where the presidential form, then you have kings, you have constitutional monarchies, you have dictators who claim they are democratic. All kinds of governments are there. Okay. But what is so different about the kingdom of God? What is different about a sovereign monarch? You need to understand. In a kingdom where the king is sovereign, absolutely sovereign, that's the kingdom of God. Okay? 
His word is the constitution. His word is the constitution. His word is the constitution. And he is the only source of authority. There is no second source of authority. He is the only source of authority. And his word is the constitution. That is what we don't understand about a sovereign monarch. Thank God he is righteous. Because we have we have history of unrighteous kings. But their word was constitution. And they keep on changing. No. And the only source of authority in a kingdom is the monarch. And that's what amazed the people in Matthew chapter 7 verses 28 to 29 after the entire Sermon on the Mount. So it was, was when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his teaching. For he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. They were astonished not at the principles that he was teaching. They were astonished by the way he was teaching. You simply couldn't, like, like he's saying, there's no questions asked. This is it. I'm making a statement and that's authority. This is how the kingdom functions. And he was not teaching like the scribes. The scribes will refer to uh, Hillel said this and Gamaliel said this and they have to quote 101 sources. That's the difference between somebody who's not sure about his authority. When you know you are heard from God, you don't need to quote 1500 people. You know this is what he said and you speak on his authority and Jesus knows what he's speaking. I don't have to quote anybody. If I quote anybody, I will quote the word. It's my own word. And he spoke and they were stunned at the authority. He taught on his own authority. You know? And that's how a king functions. You know, throughout the Sermon on the Mount, this one statement he will make, you have heard. But I tell you. I mean, you know that's a statement. That's a statement of authority. You have heard. But let me give you the interpretation. And my interpretation, don't even dare to question it. I'm speaking to you as the king. I tell you, this is what it means. This is what it means. You have heard, I gave it. I gave the letter. Now let me explain to you what it means. This is what it means. In Matthew 21, 23, when he came into the temple, the chief priests, the elders of the people confronted him as he was teaching and said, by what authority are you doing these things and who gave you this authority? The authority is a big business in governments and every system. Authority is real. So he comes into the temple and teaches and they are coming and ask him, by what authority are you doing these things? Who gave you this authority? His answer was that, what do you have, what do you have about John the Baptist? This answer and said to them, I'll also ask you one thing, but if you tell me, likewise I'll tell you by what authority I do these things. Let me ask you a question. The baptism of John, where was it from? He's not answering that question about, no, so they, we don't know. He says, okay, I also don't know. I'm also not going to tell you where my authority comes from. You know? I mean, basically he's talking, I mean, if you look at the core of it is, you don't go and ask the king, where does your authority come from? Where does the king's authority come from? From my 
In Mark chapter 1 and verse 27, you will see what happens is, they were amazed so that they questioned among themselves, what is this? What new doctrine is? For with authority he commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. The most stunning part of his ministry, which is the proclamation of the kingdom, because the kingdom of God, there is a kingdom that opposes, which is the kingdom of darkness. And the foot soldiers of the kingdom of darkness are evil spirits and demons. And there is a power encounter and something that never happened 4,000 years of human history is happening. The king and the kingdom is coming and casting out the demons. That's why in Mark 16, when he talks about these signs shall follow, the first sign is you shall cast out demons. Why? It's proclaiming the authority of the kingdom. Because it's not about this world. The clashes between the powers of darkness who control the minds and bodies of people and the kingdom of God that wants to set people free. And if there is a clash, there will be casualties. And the casualties are always on the side of the powers of darkness, where the kingdom of God never fails. That's why it says it always increases. The kingdom of God has never failed. It never fails. It cannot fail. So there is a power encounter. In my name, they will cast out demons. That's the first sign. In Luke chapter 11 and verse 20, he makes this statement. If I cast out demons with the finger of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon me. That's one of the signs he says. He's talking about the kingdom because the gospel is the gospel about the kingdom. And unless we understand the kingdom of God and what salvation means, we will be in for a rude shock. Because for so many people, and all of us were caught in this, the church is a place where we learn interesting things and good principles for success in this world. Are we lost? Okay. Let's look at pattern, Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26, before the fall, and verse 28. God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. First thing he says is that when we make man, we have to make man in our image and in our likeness. Why was man made in God's image and God's likeness and not like the animals? Because of the reason and the purpose for which he was made. He was made to have Dominion. Dominion. Dominion means exercise authority. That is why he was made in the image of God. And the others were not. All those who were not made in the image and the likeness of God, and then one set of people made in the image and likeness of God, these people would exercise his dominion over them. That was the purpose. That was the purpose. And if you don't understand how things work, we will not understand the whole purpose of salvation. And in Genesis chapter 3, when the fall happens, what is happening is that the people who were supposed to exercise dominion over the earth joined hands with God's arch enemy, the first rebel in the heavenlies. We joined hands with God's enemy. And we lost dominion. He took over. And we were expelled from the garden. And if you know law, if you know law, the punishment for rebellion against the king is only one. 
it is death. It is execution. It's execution. And it doesn't matter who it is. That's why Solomon executes his brothers. It does not matter who it is. The only one who can save you is the king. He can extend mercy. Nobody else can save you. The only judgment for rebellion against the king is execution. Thank God the king is a loving and a merciful king. He's a king of mercy. So you will see these fundamentals. How this king who is loving, kind, merciful intervenes. And in Romans chapter 5 and verse 6, he looks at us. When we were still without strength, we were powerless. Can I have an IV? So it makes the meaning easier for new believers, new converts to the kingdom of God. You see, just at the right time, when we were still powerless. Rebels have no power with the king. They're all on death row. That's the term used for people who have been sentenced for execution. The dates are fixed, so they are all on death row. July 1st, this one. July 3rd, this one. July 5th, this one. That's called death row. All different forms, injection, electric chair, hanging, different nations, different ways. They're on death row. Who are we? We were all on death row. Just at the right time, when we were still powerless, he died for the ungodly. He had to meet the righteous, just requirement of God before we could be set free. Verse 8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We are rebels, powerless. We are sinners. And verse 10. When we were God's enemies. Okay, look at these things. Three things. Powerless, sinners, enemies. And what did he do? Why did he do all that? Verse 9. How much, now since we've been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath? We were saved from the wrath of a king. You you read through the histories in Chronicles and Kings and all. When these Gentile kings captured, you know, they will immediately execute the king's sons. Right over they say execute them. Put out their eyes. Execute them. And no mercy shown at all. Absolutely no mercy shown at all. That's why Mephisopotamia is trembling in fear. He doesn't understand what David is calling for. He's thinking in terms of kingdom. His father was the previous king. A new king has come. These are two different clans. And when he is called, is there anybody from the household of Saul to whom I can show mercy? He doesn't know that. When he is brought over there, Mephisto's first cry is, who are my a dead dog? He's thinking he's going to be executed. So that's what kings do. They don't look at, they don't show any mercy to rebels. No. Mercy to rebels. And that's what the Bible is talking about. We are being saved from the wrath of God that would be poured upon the rebels. And the call of the gospel is so also a call to surrender because the wrath of God is getting closer and closer. And we look at the pandemic and we look at all this, Lord, save us from this pandemic. He says, don't you know what I am doing? I am trying. This is my final call to humanity. Surrender before this is just uh, uh, this is, he said, this is nothing compared to the wrath that is coming. This is not even wrath. 
This is just a wake-up call. This is just a wake-up call. The wrath of God is coming. Remember Matthew 3, 7, John the Baptist, the precursor, the one who blew the trumpet, the first warning. When he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said, you brood of vipers, who want you to flee from the coming wrath? You think baptism is going to save you without repenting and bending your bow to the king that is coming? He says, he admitted, this is a discernment of the Holy Spirit. He knows this set of people will never accept the kingship of Jesus Christ. He says, I am not going to baptize you. Salvation is about a kingdom and dominion, authority, power coming under it. He says, who who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? He says, you see, dipping in the water is going to save you from that wrath. That's why Revelation chapter 1, 3, the entire book which is talking about from chapter 4 onwards, it's a complete paradigm shift. The Chapter 2 and 3 is warning the church, look, 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 don't if you put right these things in the churches, he says, the wrath will come upon you too. So put things right before I come. And one triya. Blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy. Blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it because the time is. This is a book in which the wrath of God is poured till Revelation 20. And God says this is one book which will tell you how everything will end. And you are very blessed. If you hear it and take it to heart. You read it. Hear it and keep it. You are blessed. You will escape the wrath of God. It is wrath unlimited, 4.0. And that's why we are asked to put the kingdom first. Kingdom first. Everybody wants to work, everybody thinks about, but when COVID-19 came and the symptoms were discussed, everybody was willing to go inside and close their doors. And government allows online. And if online also fails, everything fails, and the government says, this is all we'll give you, we'll give you a ration of this much rice, and that to the two rupee rice, and little lentils, and oil, and be satisfied with that, people will say yes to that also. Because priorities will change, everything will change when you're looking at death and destruction. Priorities change. When you're facing death, your priorities change. You look at the mercy petition of those people on the death row. How many times? Every avenue possible. Because you're looking at death. God says, the wrath of God is complete destruction. There's no coming back from that. And the kingdom of God is also a declaration of get in or perish. Repent or perish. And unless we see it that way, we will not value what the death of Jesus Christ. That's what it says. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Thy kingdom come. And his righteousness. Why? Hebrews 1.8. Can I have KJV? Well, let's see. NKJV also is okay. Let's see if it is okay. Yeah. But to the son he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. This is an eternal kingdom. This king will never die. Nor will somebody take his throne. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. What is the nature of this kingdom? It's a scepter of righteousness. It's a scepter of righteousness. And the Bible is very clear about what the kingdom of God is and what the kingdom of God is not. 
Romans 4.17. 14.17 Therefore, not for, yeah. The kingdom of God is not eating and drink. It is not eating and drink. That's our primary concern. No? Meaning, yes. tension, more and more tension comes and more or job losses and the tension is always about what to eat, what to eat, what to drink. The kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but it is righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. And it is first righteousness. Yesterday there was this question about peace. There is no peace in the kingdom of God without first righteousness. Everything is factored in by righteousness. Peace and joy is factored in by righteousness. So we have to understand kingdom concept. Because the problem is democratic leaders are elected. Dictators seize power. The king is born to power. Nobody gives him power. Nobody gives him power. The power is rightfully his. By virtue, it is his power. So in Matthew 2 and verse 2, when Jesus is a couple of years old as a child and the wise men come, the question is, where is he who has been born king of Jesus? He's born king. Meaning he was born in the flesh, but he never ceased being king. That's why when he started preaching, he preached with the authority of a king. He's born king. Okay. So he was always king. And when he was born also, he was born king. And the king and his kingship is eternal. Hebrew, Revelation 11 and verse 15. And the seventh angel sounded and there were loud voices in heaven saying the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and his Christ and he shall reign forever and ever. Okay. Get these concepts. Absolutely dwell on it. Meditate on it, live in it, you will be happy. His authority is absolute. Absolute. The authority of a king is absolute. In other words, his word is law. His word is law. Louis XIV, if I am right, the French king, is the one who declared, I am the state. Shakespeare has this in, uh, I forgot, I think it's King Henry, I forgot which, uh, which, uh, play of his was that, where, uh, he marries, uh, this king marries this French princess, or whatever, whichever way, and, uh, it's a arranged marriage, she doesn't love him. So she says, you can marry me, but I will never be yours. Something statement like that. So he makes his statement. He says, you are Francis. Francis mine. And you are mine. <laughs> Only, you have to understand kingdom, monarch, monarchy, 
You have to understand concepts when you will understand what we are getting into. Thank God he is loving, merciful, righteous, but he never ceases being a king. His authority is absolute. And his word is the law. That's why we are called to meditate upon the word day and night and don't turn to the left or to the right. And that's why the kings of Israel, one of the first things they were given was they were given the book of law, a personal copy. Go and live by this. Blessed is the man who meditates upon his word day and night. In Psalm 19, the psalmist, if I am right, King David, in verse 7 to 11, will put it across beautifully. 19. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul, making him a good subject. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making the wise simple, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right. When a law is enshrined, written, it becomes a statute. That is from where we get a statue. A statue. You take me and make me into a statue and I am dead and gone. It still stands there representing something. That is how the law becomes a statute. And therefore behind the movement to pull down statues, there is a force because the statue represents something. The law becomes a statute, okay? Of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean. Once you have meditated upon the law, the statutes and the commandments, what will come is the fear of the Lord. And it is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous and altogether. How does he make his judgments? How do you know his judgments? If you know his law, his statutes and commandments, you will always know his judgments in accordance to that. More to be desired are they than gold. Ye much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and honeycomb. So priority is put over there. Moreover, by them your servant is warned. And in keeping them there is great reward. See, David understood he was the king himself, but he understood he just a king under the emperor. Okay, so please understand, his word is the law. You cannot sit there and argue with the word of God. His word is the law. In Psalm 24, verse 1, The earth is the Lord's and all its fullness, the world and all those who dwell, that his authority and ownership is complete. He owns both the subjects and the rebels and he will do with each what he pleases. He will exalt one. He may throw one. That's what he says. I have mercy on one who I have mercy. Moses, do you really understand what concept you are talking about? What are you talking about? That's the pot tell the potter. What are you talking about? Do you understand kingdom? Do you understand? You are living under the Roman emperor and before that fellow you will say Hazur, Hazur and then you are fighting with God. What kind of craziness is? Do you understand this? His ownership is complete. He owns you. Remember what Joseph did through the famine? What he used the famine for? He used the famine to see that every Egyptian belonged to the Pharaoh. At the end of famine, how Joseph has a wise steward of the Pharaoh, he used the famine and the situations to see every Egyptian belong to the 
Pharaoh. And do you think what is the, what is what do you think is God's uh, Jesus, the steward of the fathers, plan with this pandemic? To see every child of God comes through this and he belongs completely to the Father. That is the reason behind all these pandemics. And if you don't come to the pandemic, is wasted on you. That's why scripture is saying the increase of his government, there is no end. What is the purpose? That Christ has complete ownership over us. No? The king's word is law and it could not be altered. That's what Isaiah 48 and Matthew 24, 35 means. Isaiah 40, 408. 408. The glass, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever. It's talking about what do you, what do you will hear if you re- read conversations and of all these people when they are being interviewed for, uh, for, I mean, you have to go through the Senate process when you're being, you know, in, being recommended to be a court in the federal court or even in the, in the Supreme Court especially. So one of the questions they will always test questions for the liberals is, what about Roe versus Wade? The abortion that was legal. Roe versus Wade, that's everybody's question, Roe versus no. So they will usually answer by saying that, we believe it is settled law. Meaning, it will not change. That's what it means. Your word is forever settled in the heavens. That's what it means. It's forever settled. There's no change. And any fool who thinks the word of God and the law of God will change is a fool. Matthew 24 and verse 35. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. It cannot pass away because he says when the God, when the king speaks, it is law. Imagine uh, Dr. Richard is arrested and all the charge sheets are against him and the king is passing by and he says, mercy. And he says, you are free. And nothing that is standing against him stands is free. It doesn't matter which magistrate, which who has charge sheeted him. When the king says, you are free, you are free. That's why when Jesus walked on earth, those who understood was crying out using the name of David, saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy. Because that's what the king does. He extends mercy. So when we repent, we are not saved. When we repent, what we receive first is mercy. Forgiveness of our sins is mercy. Only a king can do that. And then we are saved by grace. We are saved by grace. He extends mercy. Unless we understand, because our democratic setup will mess us up in the kingdom of God. And we don't realize it has got so much into our minds. The devil has, that's what happened to Paradise Lost. When Milton wrote Paradise Lost, he's not writing Paradise Lost and living under a king because he was against monarchy. Oliver Cromwell has taken over and Britain had become a commonwealth. And he's for Cromwell and he writes uh, Paradise Lost. And after some time, if you read Paradise Lost, you don't know whether he's arguing for God or for the devil. So there's a constant criticism about Paradise Lost. That is, at the, by, that sometimes he's, 
His ways, his poetry goes, he is actually arguing for the devil. The devil was trying to set up a democratic setup. You and I, I do not have any freedoms other than the freedoms given to us by the king. Any other freedom we exercise which is against the word of God is not freedom. It's a rebellion. It will not stand. Understand how it works in a, in a, in a kingdom. About the king, there are two aspects about the king. Okay, we are talking about a king, absolute monarch, not constitutional monarch like uh, Queen Elizabeth and all. It's a waste of time and resources. No? One, he has what he called Hepzibah, a domain. What does he have? A domain. He has a domain, meaning he has an area he rules over. Okay? He has an area he rules over. A domain. Second, he exercises dominion over it. Because he owns it completely. He has a domain. Like if you go to the nearest kingdom to India, is a little kingdom called Bhutan. Pastor Vijay and we've been there. You will see at the border it changes. Okay? But on this side, he does not have a domain. And he does not have dominion. His domain begins from that gate. It's called Bhutan Gate. From there his domain begins. So there is domain and inside that he exercises dominion. And he owns it. Absolute monarch owns every piece of land. Every piece of land belongs in a sovereign, absolute sovereign monarch. He owns every piece of land. He owns every person and he gives them the land to use it for his namesake. And we are only stewards. We own nothing. That is why one day we'll all stand before God and give account because it belongs to him. Get these ideas clearly because it is a democratic setup and all got in. We think it is my life. Naku. <laughs> that is my maddy maddy. Naku. Nadi. He owns everything. And even when he gives us something, we are only stewards. And we will be given, called to give account of what? We will be given account also about how we use the breath, meaning every word you have spoken. Understand? When we speak, it is words. It's scary and comforting. What is the term actually used for this? The actual word used for this in the Bible, the actual concept for this is what is called lordship. Now, that term is kind of completely disappeared from the language with its original meaning, except with what we call landlord. That is why whenever landlord comes, we are always afraid. Because he knows, we know, he is the lord of that land. If he says... One month notice. We are finished. 
because we know he owns it. You can't do anything about it. You may have stayed there for 10 years. You may be very comfortable with it. But he comes and says, one month. Understand that? Okay. He comes and says, okay, I'm giving you the house. I see you have so many things, but don't dig any holes in the wall. That's the law. You will not say anything. No, sir, I like digging holes. He said, find another, <laughs> find another house. Did you see? You understand lordship? Because when we look at landlord, we understand lordship. So we will bend our knee to the landlord, but not to the lord of heavens. Where his word is law. So all who come under his lordship will be judged for rewards, stewardship. Well done. Understand? Remember the parable of the talents? We looked at it. No, He called ten of his servants and gave them all a, not mina, but <laughs> he gave them all talent, life, whatever it is you want to. But this one line in it, in Luke chapter 19, this one line in it, which is line number 14. 1914. But his citizens hated him. His citizens hated him. The whole earth and its fullness and inhabitants, everything belongs to God. But his citizens hated him. He had some among his people. Ten is a number of God's number. Ten among his citizens. Let us say of seven billion, he had around 500,000. And he gave them all a commission to do. And when he came back, the group is divided into three. One said, you gave me one, I made ten. Another said, you gave me one, I made it five. The third said, this is like who you are. And it doesn't matter what I think about the Lord. What matters is what the Lord thinks about me. My opinion does not count in that court on that day. Does not matter. And what you see there is a judgment of stewardship. And what is interesting is what happens to the citizens who hated him in verse 27. See, we skip over all these things. Jesus never skipped over anything. He was very clearly giving across the gospel of the kingdom. What does he say? And bring those enemies of mine. The subjects who hated him are called by the Lord as my enemies. Who did not want me to reign over them. They did not like my lordship and slay them before me. This is the tender, merciful, kind Jesus speaking. Because this is how the kingdom works. At that time there will be no mercy. Because the time for mercy is over. They did not want my lordship. And our struggle is always with the lordship. Are you getting the picture? And that's why we cannot change the gospel of the kingdom. It is the gospel of the kingdom of God. Wherever he went, wherever he sent his disciples, he says, go and preach to them the gospel of the kingdom. And do these things. That's things. Is This is not a kingdom in words. It's a kingdom with power. When they see this power, they will realize this kingdom means what it says. You better repent. It can cast out demons. It can heal the sick. It can raise the dead. Don't underestimate the power of this kingdom. This king is very, very serious. 
in Acts chapter 2 and verse 36. When they cried, what should we do? Peter's reply was this, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified. Both, the first term that is used is sovereignty, the Lordship of Jesus Christ and Christ. He does not save anybody who does not accept his sovereignty. So if you do not accept his sovereignty and think you are saved, God says there's nothing like that in a kingdom. In a kingdom there are only subjects who accept the sovereignty of God, the complete sovereignty of God, even in areas where you have not understood, but you bend your knee. And then you will understand as you go in. Who will always say, thy will be done. You don't have to understand the whole will of God. We'll be still understanding the will of God. But where there is no lordship, there is no save. He cannot save those who have not bent their knee to his lordship. Both Lord and Christ. In the incredible doctrinal letter of Romans, Romans 10 and verse 9, which we all quote about salvation, this is what it says. If you confess with your mouth, the Lord Jesus, not Jesus. If you confess with your mouth the Lordship of Jesus Christ and believe in your heart God has raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. Then you will be saved. No? People will ask, I repented, should I keep on repenting? Yes, because the Lord will show you areas in your life where Lordship has still not come. So many areas. And it's not a matter of debate. And growing in the kingdom, which Isaiah talks about increase of his government, is actually growing in the lordship of Jesus Christ. And it's only when you and I grow in the lordship of Jesus Christ that righteousness is being established. And living by faith and walking by faith and all, it sounds good to get things. But that's not what it is talking actually about. It is talking about the word of the king is my law. As a subject, your word is my law. Faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of God. What does it mean in kingdom language? It means your word is my law. I'm walking by faith. And everything that has happened in the past and is happening right now in the world has to be seen in the light of the kingdom. And it's a king that has absolute kingdom that is absolute in power and in authority. Absolute in power and authority. In Matthew chapter 28 and verse 18. Jesus came and spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Not some. It's every, all authority over heaven and earth is in my hands has been given to me. And in Philippians 2, the route the Father sent him to receive it at the end of it. Philippians 2, 9 to 11. This is what the Bible says. And God has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every other name. Because name signifies authority and power. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and those under the earth. And every tongue should confess Jesus Christ is Lord. The Lordship of Jesus. There is, there is no escaping these verses. This is the reality and the truth. Okay. The reality and truth. Okay. And that's why Jesus was, he is pleased by faith. 
He is pleased by faith which recognizes the word of God as authority. That is the faith he is interested in. That is the faith he is. That's why he was interested in the Roman centurion. He said, I am a man under authority. And God is always interested in people who are under authority. He says, you are, you are actually ready for the kingdom. Because the kingdom is where authority functions non-stop. And people learn to come under authority. <coughs> it's a kingdom where the word is the law. In that kingdom, there is order. In that kingdom, the scepter is of righteousness. Do you know how the constitution of India or the constitution of US, two constitutions, which we can use as the largest and the most liberal democracies, two liberal, begins? It begins, we, the people of India, or we, the people of United States of America. That's how it begins. Not the constitution of God's kingdom. God's kingdom begins as I. There is no we there. There is no we there. Exodus 20, verses 1 and 2. After they have all agreed, he says, this is what you will speak. And Moses is speaking, but it's God who is speaking. God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord, your Lord. I am your Lord, your God, who brought you. I'm not just your God. I'm your God who is your Lord. Your Lord who is your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. And after that, it is just a series of commandments, nothing about we the people. Thou shall, thou shall not. Thou shall, thou shall not. These are statements of an absolute sovereign monarch. Before that, they have given a choice whether you want to listen to me, obey me or not. It's your choice. If you obey me, this is your end. If you disobey me, this is your end. There's no third option. <clears throat> in other words, in a kingdom, the subjects do not have an opinion. His word is law and his word is truth. Once we are saved, we are saved as an act of mercy. Really, really act of mercy as a monarch. And after that, God says, we have to learn to live as loyal, faithful subjects of God. Matthew 4.4 4 is the statement he makes to the other false king. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, because that's the law of the kingdom. Our struggle is, fundamentally our struggle is this. And Jesus shows us the way. He shows us the way. As coming as the servant of the Lord. He shows us the way. The only way to live free is to live under the righteous rule of God. Thy kingdom come, thy will. Now, let me put it across. Will is something what I desire. Will is something which I decide. Okay? Let us say, I desire, let us say I have this much money and I desire to leave it for my five children in a certain way. But I die 
without writing down my will. There will be confusion. And if they are not kind to each other, they will fight over it. Okay. The mother can't do anything about it. Because that's the law. The father's property belongs equally to all the children. So if I die without writing down what I desire to give them, there will be trouble, there will be confusion. <clears throat> Once it is written, people keep on changing their will because they are expecting to die but they don't die. <laughs> and the desires keep on changing. Between year one and year five, this child was very good and this was bad. So the will changes again. That's what people do. They do. Sometimes they dishonorate everybody and give it to somebody else. Okay. So when he writes his final will, he will say, this is my final will and testament. That is written will. It's a testament. So you have the Old Testament and the New Testament. It is written. The will of God is given to us in written form. Will, testament. When it is spoken, it is a commandment. You looked at Exodus 20, verse 2. Verse 1 and 2. What does Bible say? Exodus 20, verse 1. God, yeah, that one. And God, and what are they called? The Ten Commandments. He spoke. And it is written, it's a testament. What is in his heart is his will. So he will write this, my final will and a testament. Once the final will and testament is made, it cannot be contested. It is forever settled. Are we getting it? And he has spoken. What he has spoken is written. If you, I think it's Exodus 23. And all the words which Moses spoke, he wrote it down. The spoken, the will, everything. It's okay. It's okay. I think it's Exodus 23 or something. So the law of God, by the very nature of God, because of the very nature of, unlike the nature of a king, earthly king, okay? The law of God, because of the very nature of God, is what we call immutable. It doesn't go through mutation. Doesn't go through It's immutable. It doesn't change. Because why? Because he does not change. We like it. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today forever for healing. We don't like it when it talks about his word, his law, <coughs> in terms of his rules, his regulations. Because of the very nature of God, the law of God never changes. Because God is forever settled. His word is also forever settled. So opinions are irrelevant in the kingdom of God. One of the fundamental things what has happened is when God's spokespeople, spokesperson, primarily the church and more important than the priesthood, the clergy, the pastors who are supposedly the spokesmen of God, when they started having opinions about the word of God. Okay. 
We don't have opinions. What do you say about homosexuality? I don't say anything. It is written. It's an abomination. I'm sorry. I don't have an opinion about this. I don't have an opinion about anything, by the way. I can have an opinion about politics. I don't have opinion about life. Because it is forever settled in the word of God. What do you think about abortion? I don't think it is murder. Thou shalt not kill. See, the problem is with the democratic setup comes in, we start having opinions and we start changing. We don't have opinions. First Kings chapter 17 verse 1 is not an opinion or a suggestion. Elijah the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall not be a dew. Meaning, I was given a message, I'm just passing it. It's not an opinion. What I feel about it is irrelevant. Whether I like it or not is irrelevant. I know he is Lord. He told me, when you speak, it's I speaking. There will be no rain, no dew. Simple. Bye. Turned eastward and left. There is no opinion there. Nobody knows what Elijah felt. God did not ask him his opinion either. You see, when you and I are asked to preach from the word, we are not asked to give our opinions. This is what it's written. This is what is written. You can take it or leave it. I have nothing to... That's what Jeremiah is talking about. Even I don't like what I am preaching. <laughs> hmm? But if I keep my mouth shut, my bones are burning. When I open my mouth, there is some cool, cool effect. <laughs> I have no, I have no choice over this. These are people who understood the Lordship of Jesus Christ. The servants of God understood. Over, like yesterday we were talking about, over every situation they understood. Jeremiah, yes Lord, you shall not marry. Yes Lord. Hosea, yes Lord, you shall marry a prostitute. Yes Lord. Ezekiel, yes Lord, your wife will die tonight. Yes Lord. Why? You are sovereign. I own in nothing. I have nothing. Everything that I have is. That's Job's understanding. Naked I came. Naked I go. You gave, you took. That's your sovereignty. Who am I to question it? All I can do is bend down in reverence. You are king. Always. No. Because he humbled himself to the level of death on the cross to save us, that never means he ceased being what he always was and is and will be, king and sovereign forever. Never underestimate the cross has changed the character of Christ. He's always a king. That's why after all of it he will say, by the way, there were the subjects who didn't want me to reign over them. Now bring them. Bring them. And slay them before me. That's again a monarch. The same monarch, you, well done, good and faithful. Here, take ten cities. You, take five cities. You, throw him into outer darkness. This fellow, cut the man. The same monarch. The same person. And every judgment of his is righteous. No. When we only show one part, we are not being true to the word of God. No. That's why when we see the world around us, 
we have to read it through the sovereignty of God, meaning sovereignty of God, meaning he is absolutely sovereign. We misunderstand the word sovereignty also. <laughs> because we don't know who a sovereign is. See, thank God I grew up in a kingdom, so I know what sovereign is. Okay, what a sovereign is. It is interesting to see the way people st- used to stand before the king. Okay, they wear these gowns where the sleeve comes still here. You have an inner lining which is folded, which is usually white. Okay, and then when they stand, they stand like this. They won't raise their head. They won't look him in the face, and they hold their. One of the reasons is because they all uh, chew pan. They chew pan. They are chewing always. Okay. So what they do is, they cover this. <laughs> okay. I'll treat you like a student in my classroom. Okay. Not, I'm, I'm being kind to you. My student would have been outside. <laughs> if she was chewing in my classroom. Right, Vijay? Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Because we call it as, we call, call it as disrespect. Okay. You're disrespecting authority by chewing gum in the classroom. You can go out, chew, and when you finish, you can come back in the sub. We won't even budge and then continue teaching. You can leave. Okay, because we always, this, what has happened, if you have seen in the entire classrooms, offices, everything, what they have deliberately done is breakdown of authority. And that's why the world is the way it is now. You can come in as you want, you can sit with your feet upon, you see at the western universities and all this, absolutely no respect for authority. And you are seeing the result on the streets. Results on the streets. No respect. That is why when Jesus comes, scripture says he will rule with a scepter of iron. That scepter of righteousness in nature will be shown. It is not gold or silver, it is iron. And what is the only iron empire in the statue Daniel saw? It was the Roman Empire. It was the most powerful and in human terms, cruel empire the world had ever seen. There was a slave rebellion during the Roman Empire, one of the many. And you know, they say for tens and tens and tens of kilometers on both sides, the rebels were crucified and left there to show that you don't turn against the Roman Empire. It was called Pax Romana, the law of Rome. Okay, the law of Rome. You need to understand these empires were there and one by one by one by they fell and then finally that empire is coming, the rock. You fall upon the rock and be broken or the rock will crush you. The nature of monarchy and sovereignty never changes. The only difference is the scepter of his rights is righteousness. So we are called to seek and hunger and thirst for righteousness that you will fit in like a glove in that kingdom and you will be absolutely and the fruit of it is peace and joy. Not misery. Not misery. So please understand what God is. God is preparing us, preparing us, preparing us to get into that kingdom. So you need to understand what is happening all around if you see there is a changing of laws in the world. And there is also a simultaneous breaking down of law and order. There is a hardening of hearts that is taking place. And there is a very clear division that is taking place in the church. Very clear division that is taking place in the church. The last churches. In Revelation chapter 3, verse 8 and 10. No? 8 and 10. 
I know your works. See, I have said before you an open door. No one can shut it for you have very, for you have very little. He says, I have opened a door for you, but nobody can shut it, though you have very little strength. And the reason why I kept an open door for you is because you kept my word. My word was your law. You understood my kingdom. You understood my sovereignty. You kept my word. And you have not denied my name. My name. Okay. You kept my word and you kept my name. You never denied my name. You understood the authority of my name. You did not. And verse 10, because you have kept my command to pursue, it was not for one day or two days, it was till the end. You endured, persevere till the end. I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is coming. What is the hour of trial? It's the hour of total lawlessness. Anarchy. Then the Antichrist will use that opportunity to take over and give false peace and safety. He said, I'll keep you from that. Because you can be kept from that because you kept my word. On the other hand, simultaneously the other church, 3 verse 15 and 16. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. You have no priorities. You have no passion. When it comes to the kingdom of God, you are neither hot nor cold. You are passionate about so many other things. The kingdom of God is I wish you were either cold or hot. But because you are lukewarm, concerning what? The king and the kingdom. And neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. One, I will keep you an open door. You, I will spit you out. The two churches in the last days. For one, I will see that you escape. The other, I will spit you right into the middle of it. Somebody asked a question. I forgot. Could you please uh, explain once again rapture and capture? It is Philadelphia and Laodicea. Laodicea prime basically means will of the people. So if you look at Laodicea Church's constitution, it doesn't begin begins by saying, thus says the Lord. It says, we the people. We will keep on changing the bylaws of the church to fit in with the culture outside. Gays are welcome, lesbians are welcome. You will be ordained and made into priests, pastors, bishops. No issues, please come. They don't preach truth, they preach tolerance. Tolerance is the new truth. So, you will see, laws are being changed everywhere. The Hebrew word for law is Torah. The Greek word for law is two. One is called nomos, from which we get ethos or custom. Ethos, sorry, nomos and ethos, custom. Okay? Are you getting, are you getting the, from the word nomos is what we get the term norm in English. This is the law. When you live under that law, it becomes the norm. Let us put across us as a church. For the 12 years, we always preached an hour and a half, one hour, 45 minutes. So after some time, we're used to it. So what has it become? Though it's not a written law, it has become the norm. 
So I used it. Somebody else come from, from a 20 minute church and sit over there, they wonder what is wrong here. Because that is not their norm. They lived under something which was 20 minutes and they think this is out of norm. Do you know where the thing comes? Law, the word is nomos. When you live under a particular law, it becomes the norm. It becomes the norm. So if you fiddle with the law and you change the law, after some time, a generation who lives under that law, that law, even if it is warped and against the law of God, it becomes their norm. Do you understand in the old covenant where God says, kill the children, kill everybody? cannot redeem them because their norm is evil. You know what's happening in the schools all around the world? They are making evil good. The children are being indoctrinated right from primary school with LGBTQ stories and this is the norm. A generation will rise who will think like the people of Noah that evil is good and good is evil and God will say, finish all off. They cannot be redeemed. And we will ask, how can God? God says, what you think is what you are. How do they do it? By changing the laws. That's what the Antichrist will do. The Bible says in the book of Daniel, when he comes, he will change the laws. So you know what? The danger is when Laodicea keeps changing according to the norm outside, without realizing we serve a king who is immutable. He does not change. And the world is shifting like the sands. Norm and customs. The other word for law is ethos, from which we get the word custom. One is the written law, the other is the unwritten law. There are two laws. You know, there's two laws, the written and the unwritten. Abraham, Isaac, all knew the covenants, the law of God. It was not written. It's written. It's said in the Bible. They knew. Just not written. Okay? You know, in our society, there are written laws and unwritten laws. And sometimes the unwritten laws are more powerful than the written ones. If you'll ask your father and mother and grandfather and all, they simply say, it's not done. And where it is written, it's not written. It's not done. Two nights back, when I came, went home, Siri was sitting there. No, she said, it's a little girl. So I told Siri, put your legs down. Girls don't sit like that. Is it written? Is it written? No, it's not written. But sometimes these unwritten laws are more powerful than the written ones. You don't have to write it. So there are written laws of God and the unwritten laws of God's kingdom. It's simply not done. In the same way, the society also has both norms and ethos. Nomos and ethos. Written and unwritten. What happens when you fiddle with these things? I'll tell you about one of these gender studies you have in these universities which has created all this gender confusion. They will say that the man has the head of the house is just a societal construction. I'm talking exact words they use in the classroom. It's just a construction of the society. If you deconstruct it and change it, it will become the norm. And one of the simple examples they say is that it is 10 o'clock in the night and the bell rings. Who opens the door? The man. For the next 50 years, if the woman opens the door, that will become the norm.
Are you getting the picture? This is what is taught in the universities. Why do you think the people out, the young kids, white, black, brown, Hispanic, everything are looking so crazy? Did you see one of the men, if you look at the Twitter clips, which you saw one of the men, so that statue and that outside um, the White House, that lawn, not lawn, that area. One of the guys who came out, you could see he was high on drugs. He was wearing a woman's bikini. And he looked crazy. But, and the, the funniest part is that, they are talking about defunding the police and two democratic uh, representatives are over there. This guy comes in, their private security is pushing them off and one of them is overheard saying, when you need the police, where are they? By the way, aren't, don't you want to defund the police and why do you need the police? But if you look at those people, all you feel is sad. Because I, because I came from that setup, the university. I know who made them this way. I know who made them this way. It's the universities. Three generations of brainwashing in the universities and colleges of US, US has created this generation. It is completely brainwashing that is taking place in the universities. They are not teaching you education. They are changing the norms and the customs. And entirely contrary to the word of God. Once upon a time, all religions had a core that was similar. similar. All that is taken out in the universities. And that's what you are saying. And you don't realize what is happening and where the world is going and you are still thinking about having a blessed time in this world and prospering. God says, really? Really? And they are changing everything. Everything written and unwritten. And the funny part is, it is so subtle, it creeps in. And unless the word of God is continuously preached, immutable, unchanging, you will get comfortable with that change. And you won't even realize it has crept into your thinking. Let me give you an example. Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 6. Can I have KJV? Ah, that's enough. First Peter. Sarah obeyed Abraham calling him. What's the word that he used? But you know almost every Christian woman will laugh at that word. It's exact word of sovereign that is used there. I don't know. So women before you get into marriage, remember he is Adonai. Men before you get into marriage, remember you have to be Adonai like him. I will tell you honestly, not, I don't know, but I would say 90% of the women would not accept this within the church. Yet the word is the same. You know why that word is used? Because you entered into the kingdom. And in the kingdom, there is only one Adonai. One Lord. The house is the basic unit of the kingdom. In that kingdom, there are no two lords. Only one. That is why the Bible we say enter into marriage carefully, discreetly, reverentially. Otherwise, don't enter. It is like entering a dragon. Otherwise, (laughs) 
When all these things are put over there, the husband-wife relationship, the parent-wife, it's all to actually prepare us for the kingdom. To prepare us for the kingdom. We don't realize what is happening. God says, it's showing you, you have an issue with sovereignty. And I'm preparing you, these are all systems which I have placed within the home, the church, the world, everywhere I have put you over there to prepare you for the kingdom that is coming. Isaiah 5 and verse 20. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. That's what finally happened to Isaiah's time and finally he comes and says, what has happened? Truth has fallen in the streets. God and righteousness, integrity, equity, everything is gone. And truth has fallen, everything is gone. I like Hindi still. Satya Bazaar mein gir gai. Gir gai. It's gone. Truth is gone. And churches are being indoctrinated. Children are being indoctrinated very, very early with what God calls evil. Evil. And nobody has, nobody has even the Power to stand up and say they are so afraid, petrified. Because the new norm is be politically correct. Be tolerant. You have to see the drag queen sitting in children's library and reading stories to our children. The little ones. You have to see them. It's so sad. The children and the drag queen. You feel sorry for them. But this is a man all with this thing, wig and everything, dressed like a woman with all makeup. And they came into the Senate hearing also. During the impeachment hearing, one of them came like that, dressed and everybody said quiet and nobody would look at this thing. But he's right, standing right over there. That's why that nation has very little time left. Very little. No? See, other nations... It's a different thing. When this happened to Israel, he sent them into Babylon. But other nations are worse than them. God didn't deal with it. And America says one nation under God. God says, okay, if you say under God, then God has to deal. You say, I am sovereign over you. Then I am sorry, I have to deal with you. I wish they did a constitutional amendment and takes under God from there. They would be better off. Otherwise, you will spank the daylights out of them. You know? And how does this happen? Because we change the law. We legalize evil. And slowly we change the norms and the customs. You go to almost any US Western church. Church. Regular church and taking people. Most of them. Have no issues about abortion. So no. It's legalized. Settled law. So God's law has become unsettled. Then man's law becomes law. And you really realize the church is literally in the wilderness, lost. So the kingdom of God has, as the gospel is no longer about the kingdom of God. It's about the kingdom of man. Man has become king. That's why in Jeremiah 6.16. Jeremiah 6.16. Thus says the Lord, stand in the ways and see. Ask for the old paths, where the good ways and walk in it. Then you will find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk in it. We will not walk in it. God says, go, find it. Why is it the old ways? Because God never changes. He's immutable. 
His principles of His word never ever changes. We the people, <laughs> we may say democracy is the best form of government. It's not true. What is democracy? Democracy is the authority of the majority. And when the majority becomes unrighteous, democracy becomes one of the worst forms of government. The majority becomes unrighteous. When majority wants evil and calls evil good, then what happens? The laws will be changed according to the wishes of the majority. And that's why in Laodicea, it's majority rule, it's the will of the people, and you see Jesus is outside. That's the only church where he's outside. Unless we meditate upon God's word day and night, we'll never know how much we have strayed away from the kingdom of God. The norms and the customs, the written and the unwritten custom of the kingdom. No? In Luke 21, 36, Jesus, when talking about the last days, he said, Watch therefore and pray always that you may be counted. That word not confuses, causes concern, counted worthy. How can I be counted worthy to escape all these things? Because to be counted worthy is to be fit for the kingdom. Because when you finally escape the kingdom of earth, you are physically entering the kingdom of God. So you need to be counted worthy for the kingdom. How much has the Lordship of Jesus Christ been established in your life? It is a son who is entering, still a son who is entering in the parable of the talents in Luke 19. But the sovereign says, well done, my good and faithful servant. The son is a servant. We forget the gospel is the gospel about the kingdom of God. We have inverted the gospel. Inverted the gospel. So the very gospel itself is a battle for the individual. Matthew 11 and verse 12 as we come to the end. From the days of John the Baptist until now the kingdom of heaven suffers violence. The violence takes it by force. The kingdom of God suffers violence. It is a violence inside. To put away the sovereignty of the self down and put the sovereignty of God in your life. And the battle begins in your mind. Every idea, every norm, every custom, written, unwritten, the will, the testament, the commandments, all this in the spiritual part of it, not the, even the letter part of it, the spirit part of it. You have to fight it and say, Lord, let it be established in my life. Established in my life. You're preparing, God is preparing us for a kingdom. And there it takes violence. 
it suffers violence. Bible, Kingdom of God says it suffers violence. You have to fight. It's a battle. It's a battle. It's won or lost first here. Because the attack is here. Isn't that what Second Corinthians chapter 10 verses 3 onwards says? The attack is here. It's not somewhere else. Though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. So where are we warring? We are warring in our minds. For the weapons of a warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. Where are the strongholds established in our minds? Casting down what? Arguments. Why should I do this? The simple answer to why should I do this is to understand the kingdom principles. Because you said so. You are sovereign. I don't have to like it. I don't have to understand it. I just have to do it. Nobody asked the king, why should I do so? Okay, why should I do so? Nobody asked any question. No questions asked. No questions. You have to see how kings dispose people. No longer in my survey. That's it. Remember what they did to Haman? They covered his face and took him away. The queen was afraid to enter into the king's presence because she could be taken away and never seen again. He says the only way he will extend his scepter, that means I have received mercy. So sovereigns on earth lived for a season and died. But something is given to us about sovereignty. The principle of sovereignty. The beautiful part of it is he is absolutely righteous. So God says you hunger, you thirst after righteousness. So you will fit into the kingdom. It is the unrighteousness part of you that makes you comfortable. I mean honestly, if you are a person like me who actually inbuilt sense of law and order, you go to countries like the Western nations, Middle East, Bhutan, Malaysia, all these places, Singapore, you will love driving and walking in their streets. You love it. Because that was always what you were in your head. Like now. You can, you love the traffic. Because of how they keep the law. And you're always uncomfortable here. You have all the laws and a completely set of lawless people. The laws are the same. Traffic rules are not different anywhere. It's not rules that make a man. It's a man whether he will obey the rule or not. And that's what God is talking about. The kingdom of God has its own rules, laws, everything. And they're all perfect. They are good. It is life. It is peace. It is joy. It is everything. The question is, will you fit into that? Can you become that? Can you become that? And he says it very clearly. His commandments are not burdensome. And not burdensome. And we have to ask this question about because everybody for salvation is escaping hell. That's all salvation means. And living a blast on earth till he comes. But we'll be absolute total misfit. Absolute total misfit. That is why when they asked him to pray, they were expecting some mantra. They see his power and they want his prayer. So, mantra mil With that mantra, we'll be powerful like him. They didn't realize where his power came from. That he was a man absolutely under authority. And when he praised their shock, our father who art in heaven, they thought, okay, what's that? Baba says, Baba ke saath bahut kuch chalega, na? 
They thought with my father I can get away with lots of things. Now our father who art in heaven, they said, ah, that sounds good. God has become father. Earlier it was God, they won't utter the name, brought it a little down, he made it father. Then he realized, ayyo, he's made it, raised it up even father. Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth that is in heaven. Now we are waiting, they are waiting. Okay, all our needs will be at least 15 lines. No, thy, give us this day our daily bread. Gone. And, 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 that's all. That's all. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. All that is got to keep a clear mind to hear from the king about what needs to be done. Forgive us our debts. As we, again he brings mercy over there. He's the king. Extend mercy or you will not get mercy. It's the kingdom. Consent. And then ends up with, thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory. Merele kuch ne, kuch ne. And that's the prayer? That's the prayer. Amen. You see what it happens? Revelation 21.2 Thy name, thy will, thy kingdom come. Thy kingdom come. And I then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem. New Jerusalem. What is that? After that? Oh, we all want to go up. But we see the city coming down. It's coming down. And I was saying, Thy kingdom Come. This is the final answer to that. His kingdom will come down visibly. After 10,000 years of rule and everything is recreated, the kingdom of God, the city of God will come down to earth. Imagine this as earth. The city will come down. I, this is my feeling, okay? It's not scripture. Don't make it scripture. It will come and kind of hover above the earth. Think about earth as a huge circle. We are not going into science and being a spear seed, no? And somewhere in the middle of it, the city. It is 1,500 miles wide, 1,000, and it is like a massive cube. And it will, and all the other nations will be there. They will bring their glory to this city. That is the overcomers. It will come down. God will live with man on earth forever. The meek shall inherit the earth. Do you understand the principles in the Old Testament while God said, don't sell your land. It is yours forever and ever, generation to generation. So when a man dies, before he dies, he writes his will, final will and testament. And he leaves his estate. I leave my house. I leave my car. I leave this much money, everything. And then he will write, I leave this land to this child. The land is the only thing which is real. That is why it is called real estate. Everything else is unreal. Everything else is Only thing that is real is land. The Israel was sin. Everybody will get a plot of land. And it will be yours from generation to generation because a sovereign has a domain. A sovereign without a domain is not a sovereign. The land, the earth and its fullness belongs to God. And those who are meek will inherit the land, the earth. They will rule with him forever 
and ever. Understand kingdom concepts. Understand kingdom concepts. This is how it works. This is the gospel of the kingdom. And our struggle is not with the gospel. Our struggle is with the gospel of the kingdom. And Jesus did not preach any other gospel. Nor did the apostles. And there is no other gospel. And we struggle with lordship. And the entire world education is tuned to create rebels. What is the first thing we start telling children? Learn to do it by your self. Self-confident. Self-respect. Everything is about self, 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 self. And we have a selfie generation. And we, how do they fit into the kingdom is the simple question. How do we fit? You have never have a generation that is so consumed with self as a generation now. And God has said in that midst will rise a generation who will be absolutely sold for God. So God says, where is your fire? Lavadisha, where is your fire? Where is your fire? Passion in your praise. Where is your passion in your prayer? Where is your passion for the kingdom of God? Where is your passion for his will? Where is your passion? It's not that people don't have passion. Of course they have passion. Passion is put in other things. God says, where is your passion? What did you mean by thy kingdom come? What did you mean by seek ye first the kingdom of God? And that is the indictment on the final church in the book of Revelation. I will spit you out if you don't repent. If you don't repent. Okay. The first church had gone from its first love. The last church had gone from everything. There's nothing left in that church. Not even one thing to say good. Get these principles very, very clear. Don't take it lightly. This is the reason why you are ministering from here day and night. Because we get back the gospel of the kingdom. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we just come to you, Lord. We just thank you. We just praise you. We just worship you, Lord. Everyone is ruled by something or somebody. But no one will get a better ruler than you. God who is righteous, whose mercy endures forever, who is love and who is light. Help us to understand the principles of thy kingdom. Come under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Each day, let there be an increase of his government in our lives. Let our knee bend now, not then, to Jesus. One day every knee shall bend, every tongue shall confess. Jesus is Lord. But he told Thomas, Blessed is he or she who believes without seeing. Help us to believe now. And walk in your sovereignty, in your lordship. You said in your word, if you are willing and obedient, 
you will eat the best of the land. Help us to be willing and to be obedient. The best of the life of Christ is ours. There is richness in that life. The richness of God himself. The very life of God himself. He said the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. And it does not decrease, it only increases. He said it's a peace that passes understanding. It's not the kind of joy the world can give. It's beyond our imagination. Your word says, I seven see in our ears, heard what God is preparing for those who love him. But we through the Holy Spirit, your word says, is given access into the kingdom. I pray, Father, we understand we continuously enter and walk in and in and in into the kingdom until one day we reach the very throne room of God, very seat of power. For your word says in Revelation 22 and verse 4, There your servants shall see his face and serve him, and your name will be upon their foreheads. Because all their life, their prayer and their life was, Hallowed be thy name. Therefore in heaven, your name will be on their foreheads, visible to all creation for all time. The rewards of Lordship are unlimited. I pray, Father, help us to see both and walk into it fearlessly. As Sarah walked into the Lordship of Abraham without fear, help us to walk under the Lordship of Jesus Christ without fear. Because our Lord is good. Our Lord is kind. And our Lord is merciful. And His mercies are new every day. I pray all of us who are here and listening will recommit our lives today to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Come Lord Jesus and reign in us. Thank you Father, thank you. And help us to confess the rest of your saints that thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever Lord. Thank you, thank you Father. We praise you, we worship you, we glorify you Lord. For in Jesus name we pray. Amen, amen. In the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit Rest and abide with each one of us. Amen and amen.